Hey there. Welcome to 7th Heaven, a lesbian recap. I'm Lindsay, and I'm joined by my co-host and real-life partner, Carling. We're diving into the 90s hit drama through today's lens. Get ready for our off-the-cuff commentary and peeling back the layers of the Camden family. We'll tackle everything from family rules, life lessons, and 90s fashion. Join us every week for a light-hearted queer perspective and a trip down memory lane. Whether you're a die-hard fan or new to the show, this recap is for you. So find us anywhere you get your podcasts at 7th Heaven, a lesbian recap. This is, I mean, I literally went to the hospital thinking, oh, at worst, appendicitis. Michelle. Hi, Carling. How are you? I'm okay. How are you? Good. I tried to say, hey, Michelle, differently this time. Oh. I because I it. now I'm in this pattern of saying things the same way, and it's irritating me. Yeah. Especially if you're the one editing, that would be, like, you can, you can, like, yeah. hear all of the Should similarities. Hi. Hi, ho. <laughs> you just messaged somebody the other day. I did. I said, ho. Oh. <laughs> it was my autocorrect, okay? It wasn't me. Those are my favorite. I got an email the other day from the organizer of a hockey league yeah. saying, those ice sluts look great. <laughs> and that's all oh, the email said. And I read it, and I laughed, and I laughed. And then it was CC'd with one of his like buddies, and he responded with, whoops, typo of the year. <laughs> It was really my good. favorite meme I've ever seen is when someone, their mom emailed someone. Yes. And what she meant to say was like, I'm afraid that this time isn't going to work. But all she messaged was, I'm afraid. <laughs> Could you imagine oh opening an email my. and all it says is, I'm afraid? <laughs> so good. Or the ones that are, um, your grandma passed away, LOL. LOL, yeah. Like, what? They thought it meant lots of love. But that's going to be us oh, yeah. in approximately 20 years. Oh, less. Yeah. There's I mean, already there's... things happening that we yeah. have no clue about. Yeah, I don't say the right things like yeet. I don't Yeet's not it. even a thing anymore. No, I know. It's well, now by the like, time she... I caught in. But that's probably not even a thing anymore either. Yeah. But there's so many technology things. Yeah. That my favorite thing to do to drive my 12 year old crazy is dab. Oh, Lord. you can't be dabbing anymore. <laughs> no, there's no backpack dabbing. dance, dabbing. No, By the time we caught on, yeah, it was over. Lindsay's daughter like laughs but is incredibly embarrassed at my inability to woe. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't, and she tries very hard, <laughs> and I think I'm doing it just like her, but I'm not. No, definitely not. And just like that, we're we all cool and yeah. old. <laughs> Um, that's kind of funny because that rolls into today. We interviewed somebody for our Patreon that's mm-hmm. coming out this week on Friday for our Patreon members. Um, we interviewed Paul from Newton Nuggets. And I mean, talk about a fun, fascinating interview. And also eye-opening. And eye-opening about how ill-prepared we are yeah. to be cyber attacked. <laughs> just in general, our safety in general is not very... It's not great. Poor guy was just like banging his head against the wall. <laughs> yeah. So for those of you who want to know, Patreon is our $5 a month subscription as a way of supporting the work that we do. And as a thank you, we give you two bonus episodes a month. Mm-hmm. And so this Friday coming up is... 
um, an interview with Paul, who is a mind reader. Yeah. And his whole job, Shit, companies yeah. pay him to break into their companies, either uh, like cyber or physically. Yeah. Or like his job is to break down their defenses. Yeah. And like and show, show them their weaknesses. Yeah. It was so fascinating. I think Paul and I want to go more. to the UK yeah. and I want to do a job with him. Yeah. Yeah, really we're going to so do a draw fun. for his book over on our Patreon. Yeah. So, so cool. If ever you were like, I need to join Patreon. Yeah, you should. You for should. sure. If yeah. not for our own stories, if not for our... Why haven't you already? Yeah, it's <laughs> wild over there, folks. It's wild. Oh. Um, anyway, how was your week? Um, it was okay. It was back to school. It was very busy. Yeah. Kids all went to school. And I like also... a big one, too. Adrian started uh, junior, junior high, high. So new school. Yeah. Twins started... Uh, kindergarten. Yeah. Which was cute, but a little bit annoying because <laughs> the teacher was like, okay, parents, like you can stay and we're going to do a craft together and I'm going to read a book. And I'm like, uh, I got to go. Like I stayed. Thankfully, yeah. I wasn't working that day. But if I was working, I would have had like, I would have yeah, been that's late for awkward. work. Yeah. You send a snap to your boss being like, yeah, I'm like, literally I'm... sitting crisscross applesauce. <laughs> Making I am a craft stuck. And I'm like, you know, I get it. Like the parents who's it's their first kid going yeah. to kindergarten. Right. I'm like, this is not my first rodeo. No, like you've been to at least four other rodeos. I've dropped off these kids at school like for years. Could yeah. we just go? But anyways, they had a lot of fun and they were super excited. And all of my kids are giant nerds because they're upset that it's a long weekend because they just want to go back to school. Yeah. I mean, good. Go. But I guess that's like best case scenario when yeah. you're bringing your kids to school, right? Yeah. Um, besides that, I had my daughter turn 10 on Friday and my Double twins digits. turned five on Saturday. So it's been very busy. Not just your twins. Your nephew. Oh, my my dog nephew also Henry turned five. Also turned five. <laughs> I think it's so funny. He literally has the exact same birthday as your twins. I know. It's twins. so funny. So all three of them turned five. I know. Very <laughs> exciting. Um, so it's been a busy weekend. Um, I also had a bit of a, I don't know, medical issue on, yeah. what was that, Friday night? That was Friday night. I got yeah. a call at... Uh, like 8 30 8 45 yeah and i saw adrian's number and i'm like that's weird mm-hmm. if i'm being honest my first thought was mm, shouldn't you be getting ready for bed <laughs> but anyway i so i like answered i was just hanging out with Lindsay and the dogs and i was like hello and poor little adrian was like um we need your help uh mom's really sick i don't and then i could hear claire crying in the yeah, background yeah and so I was like, okay, I just thought it was I'm funny because I couldn't talk. And literally the first thing he said was like, we need help. And yeah. I was like, oh, God. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I was having a gallbladder attack. Yeah, friend. It was so bad. Yeah. I have given birth to five children and that was the worst pain I've ever had was this gallbladder attack. It was so oh bad. Oh, God. Um, yeah. So you came over to rescue me and... Phone health link. We were on the phone for like an hour waiting for yeah. someone. I'm like, good thing I'm. I have like... to laugh though because I walk in, the house is dead quiet. Yeah. Jude's in his undies downstairs just watching TV, yeah. doing his care thing. What's going on. And I was like, hey, buddy. Didn't even look at me. And I was like, cool. <laughs> Drop my purse, head upstairs. And then all the other kids are yeah. like around you with a bowl and water. It was yeah. very sweet. They were very <laughs> yeah. worried about you. They were very worried. And I felt bad. I'm like, that's got to be traumatic. Like, yeah. especially because they've already lost a, a parent. Yeah. I'm like, and there's me. Like, I can't even talk. I'm in so much pain. Like, that's not good for them. But 
I there was nothing I could do. Yeah. I was like, I need I need somebody here. I need an adult. I'm like, I, yeah, I needed yeah. an adult. I couldn't even put my kids to bed. Like, yeah. it was bad. No, um, I told them, and I think all parents, their kids should all have, like, an adult they can call. Yes. Because I, cause I was like, Adrian, like, you did the right thing by uh-huh. calling me. Totally. A hundred percent of the time. I don't care what time of day it is. I will always show up. Yeah. 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 So uh, it was not great. Um, we were on the phone with HealthLink and they said that I should go to the hospital. And I was like, mm. I know I feel bad because you were like, to. no, they're going to tell me to go to the hospital. And I was like, no, I don't think so. Not this time. Yeah. But and she's like, okay, what you're going to do is go to the emergency room. And I was like, ah, damn it. She was a bit sassy too. <laughs> she was kind of sassy. We didn't start that conversation off great. No, no, we didn't. But she's like, can I talk to the person who's actually sick? Yeah. Cause I called and I was like, yeah. I'm here with my friend. I like, <sighs> Anyways, Anyways, nurse Kim. So by the I bet time, you they were very busy. Probably. Healthcare workers deserve $18 million Absolutely. at minimum. Absolutely. So anyways, by the time we talked to her and everything, things had started calming down a little bit. And yeah. then, and then I, since then I'm fine. But it was just like. Yeah. I've had a gallbladder attack <sighs> before. Yeah. And I have some bad news for you. It's going to happen again. It's going to happen again. And I had a doctor tell me there's like, is it the four F's, the five F's? So if you're like female, how many times you say the F word? No. <laughs> well, yeah, it's like contractions, but <laughs> yeah. they count per minute how many times. Ugh. No, if you're female, mm-hmm. if you're over 40, if you're fat. Oh, wow. And if you have it in your family. Okay. So I am female. My mom's sister, aunt, and grandma all had it oh, out. Oh, Lord. I'm a bit on the hefty side. <laughs> I carry some fat. And... Well, I am fa- I am yet, fast then. approaching forty. Yeah, true. Great. Yeah. So maybe you and I can get like a a joint no. gallbladder removal. Surgery. We need to no. It needs to be back. Like like okay. I yeah. help you. Yeah. During yours, and then you recover, and then I'll move in here, and you help me. Okay, during mine. that makes more sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was bad. Um, I think the last one that I had was quite a few years ago when I was pregnant with mm. the twins. I went to Montana with my sister in law, and it was. It wasn't as bad as the one that I just had, but it was also really bad. Um, and she had just gotten her gallbladder out. And she's like, I'm pretty sure this is a gallbladder attack. And I'm like, no, I don't think so. But <laughs> it was it was bad. So Friend, the world needs you. I know. But I think that I just need to get rid of my gallbladder. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, I appreciate that you came. No. And I'm of like, course, obviously. I felt guilty about it because I'm like, I, maybe I'm not sick enough for her to come and help me. My God. I was, I was not good. No, I was doing up. like labor breathing. Yeah. I was in so much I know. Pain. At one point, you were standing and swaying. Yeah, I was. I was. And I was just sitting there like, what's what's happening here? I know. At one point, I thought maybe I was going to have a baby. <laughs> <laughs> You've got a lot of explaining to do. Oh, no. Anyways, how was your week? Uh, I think it was fine. I mean, aside from my sh- my sheer and utter embarrassment of being an Albertan. Oh, so We don't just, live in Alberta anymore. <laughs> no, we are relocating if there is... Well, I tagged Jen from Australia oh. in on TikTok because yeah. they're in lockdown and that looks lovely. That looks... Uh, I would do that. Yeah, so I... I don't know. Everybody's COVIDed out. But people need to know, we are not okay here in Alberta. We are not okay. Our government. And nobody cares. <clears throat> nobody cares. We are the first province. We are the first in the world yeah. to just willy-nilly, we just, you know what? We're open. Yeah. Ease all, all restrictions, done. July yeah. 1st, not a single restriction yeah. to keep folks safe from this global pandemic. And we are, what, a month later? 
Yeah, so... Two months later, and yeah. look at us now. Look at us now. I just want... I just want them to feel embarrassed, but they're not. Mm-hmm. No, they're not. Because, because now we're back to wearing masks. Yeah. Like, we're a very conservative, yes. dare I say, redneck province. Yes. And our vaccination rate is... Terrible. Terrible. Yeah. And... We're now at 95% capacity for our ICUs. We're averaging over 1,400 cases a day. Mm -hmm. And school just started. So in two weeks, the modeling shows we're going to be over 4,000 cases a day. Can I tell you that a school very close to me just sent out an email on the second day that there's already a positive case? Yeah. It's because kids are the ones that can't get vaccinated. I know. I know. And or parents are making decisions, whatever their belief system is, that, oh, it's just the sniffles. And then they send their kid. Yeah. Because they can't miss work or because they can't, whatever the reason. It's, I mean, honestly, there have been times where my kids have been sniffling and I'm like, lock it down. Yeah. Like, you're fine. Yeah. But. Like, take a reactant. It's not, that's not okay. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really hard. Wild. Oh, so. And anyways. so then our lovely head of government made an announcement. So he was on holidays. So he wasn't Obviously, available for, uh, governing the province, <laughs> um, for two weeks. But while well, we all just, it was just. A free-for-all. Yeah. And... Everyone just licked each other. Ugh. <laughs> and then he, like, made some announcement where he said, the government's been doing a great job. It's the mm-hmm. people who, who are not getting vaccinated mm-hmm. who are the real problem. Granted, mm-hmm. people who are not vaccinated are causing... Are 90% of the hospitalizations. Yep. But... Then he said, we're going to start a new incentive. And if you have not yet been vaccinated, we're going to give you $100. If you get vaccinated before October 15th. Which is like, first of all, they're not going to do it. No. Second of all, way to reward the people who are causing this mess. Yeah. And then on top of that, everybody now has to be masked indoors again. So like you and I are double vaccinated. We're doing all the things we need to do. Every, so, but no, now we have to now wear masks again. Yeah. I mean, I was wearing a mask anyway. But And, and now I have to go back to telling people who mm-hmm. come into my work yeah. to wear a mask. And let me tell you, I do not get paid enough to no. argue with people to put a mask on no. their face. It is, it is a nightmare. We, yeah. we did it for a year. Like, yeah. it is not okay. No. It's and the people who are refusing stressful. to wear masks are almost all yeah, not vaccinated. vaccinated. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, anyway. This is how I feel. There's just this, like, collective, like, I just feel this, like, doomy grief. Like, I'm just exhausted by it all. And it's, like, we're just in the land of the crazies over here. Uh, It's it's stressful. So if you live somewhere where you, your government is a little bit better, Mm -hmm. please send me a note and we will be on our way. (laughs) We will be there. Because we are not okay. We need an adult. We need an adult. And Please. the adult that's running this joint needs <laughs> a timeout. <laughs> yeah, needs a timeout. Exactly. Oh, no. September is oh yes Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. Yes. And so we're starting off this month with two episodes. Today's obviously with Heather, and she is incredible. and Amazing. The, the work she's doing on her platform for... The world is just yes, life-changing. Yes. And we're so excited that she agreed to be on our podcast and um, share her daughter Evelyn's story. 
In honor of Childhood Cancer Awareness Month and in honor of Evelyn, I have created, I have designed a notebook with Heather's input on the things that Mm -hmm. Evelyn liked and Mm -hmm. kind of one of the phrases that she likes to say, that she liked to say. It really like captures her essence, I think, from what I know. So a portion of the notebook proceeds will go towards the Evelyn Foundation Foundation and help other families who've had kids who are going through, you know, cancer and things like that. And so this is just for the month of September, right? For the month of September, this notebook will be on sale in our Etsy shop. Is the link in our bio? It is the link in our bio. And I will post a picture of the notebook um, in our Instagram stories with a little bit more information. And yeah, you guys can all get a notebook in honor of Evelyn. Yeah, that's really great. I know there's a bunch of local companies that have that have partnered with her to do mm-hmm. fundraising and so I I just feel really honored that yeah. that we get to be part of Absolutely. that because because yeah, the work that they're doing is incredible. You're thanks amazing. for doing that. You you're did welcome. a really great job. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I know you're so creative. I literally if I have to create something in Canva, I'll stare at it for 3 hours <laughs> and I'm just like, "Why does this look so bad?" <laughs> I don't, I can't. And then you create something and I'm like, oh yeah, that looks better. Okay. Like it just, you just, I don't have an I, eye. I didn't honestly think I was ever that creative. Um, I can't draw. I can't do art. You're like the visual like one. I'm the wordy one. Yeah. Like I, I, I if, so. if we need to think of a sentence or write something. Yeah. I'm like, I need a caption. What do you got for yeah. me? But, but you're the one that like has the eye for yeah. it. Well, thank the you. aesthetic. You passed the vibe check. Oh, wow. Is that current? Is no, that? it's not. Is it not? Are we not saying that anymore? I don't think so. So if I walk in somewhere, I can't be like, this passes the vibe check. Oh, I don't think so. Damn it. <laughs> okay, well, let's get on with We're going to learn. Episode. We're going to go on TikTok while you guys are listening and learn some new things. All the cool things. Yes. Okay, <laughs> bye. Bye. Hello, Heather. Hi. How are you? I'm all right. How are you? We're good. We're in the same place, so we're not too far away from each I other. I know. Why aren't we recording in <laughs> person? Know. We're double vaccinated. I know. It's so crazy, isn't it? Like, yeah. some of the world is opening up a little bit again. I know. <laughs> yeah. It's good and scary. <laughs> yes, 100%. <laughs> when they ended the mask mandate in our town, uh, at, I was at work and people are coming in without a mask. I'm like, it's very alarming to see people's full faces. Yeah. <laughs> You're not really ready for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, that's what you look like. Okay. Yeah. And I think like, I think about like these little kids, like toddlers that were born, you know, yeah. during this stage and stuff. And it's probably so unnerving to them to like see a whole face. Yeah. Absolutely. They're like, why yeah. am I seeing this part of you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've gone into a store a couple of times without a mask. I sort of like base it on like how busy does it look and yeah. like, I don't know, but I'm very aware of how much of everybody else's air I'm breathing. Yes. <laughs> People are gross. I know. I'm like, mm, don't, don't walk towards me with your mouth open. I don't want to breathe that. <laughs> we literally had this guy at work the other day who wouldn't stop hiccuping. Oh, oh. I believe he was intoxicated. Oh, no. And he just kept hiccuping and then, like, blowing air out of his mouth. And I'm like, you need to stop. Like, (laughs) (laughs) this is disgusting. (laughs) My God. What a world we live in now. I know. Oh, my Um, gosh. It's so crazy. (laughs) It's crazy. I know we already said before we started officially recording, but we are, like, 
I don't know, starstruck, awestruck, oh. or starstruck, but we've been like really working up the nerve to reach out to you and interview you um, for months. So we are so thankful that you took time out of your super busy schedule to chat yeah. with us today. I'm just, any opportunity I have to talk about Evelyn um, is special to me. So yeah. I just, when you guys asked, I was thrilled because, you know, it's just, it's another opportunity to talk about her and some of the things about her we loved and to continue to sort of raise awareness in the oncology community and hopefully, mm-hmm. you know, continue to um, see and create changes that we're hoping for. And so I'm just thankful that you guys asked me. Well, good. <laughs> oh gosh, we're so, yeah, we're so honored to, to have, to be a platform for Evelyn's story. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, we were talking about how, what a small world it is because we have quite a few little connections um, to each other. And yeah, so, and we're going to air this episode in September, which is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, we're also interviewing somebody who is a childhood cancer survivor. Yeah. So it'll be, yeah, just- And she has an organization that helps parents who have children who are in cancer treatment um, and give support to them. Yeah. Yeah. which, yeah, which will be really interesting. Yeah, so hear. hopefully this whole month we can sort of just, I don't know, boost everybody's, I think, education and knowledge. And, wow, yeah. um, you know, if people if people have the capacity to help out, giving them some options of ways to help out. Yeah, definitely. It's needed. So, yeah, yeah I, I think if you want to just start by introducing yourself, tell us a little bit about you and your family. And then, you, you know, Evelyn's story best. So we'll kind of leave it to you. Yeah. Um, okay. So I am um, a wife of almost 14 years now to Mike, who is just my love. <laughs> it Aww. sounds so cheesy and like our marriage is not perfect. And I definitely don't want to give people that impression, <laughs> but we have been through hell and back a handful of times and survived yeah. it all. And I've openly told him that um, I plan on never dating again because I've seen a few friends journeying it. And so he's oh. kind of stuck with me, even if he's unhappy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we we got married and um, a couple months later um, discovered that birth control is not 100%. Oh, and no. so just before our first anniversary, um, I gave birth to Evelyn on August 6, um, 2008. And, um, Evelyn is just, I, I always kind of say like, Evelyn is my pride and Harper is my joy. Evelyn came to us at a time of life that was really challenging. My, my husband's father was quite sick and, um, he was actually in renal failure. Um, he was passing away from cancer as Evelyn was being born. And, um, we're really grateful. Evelyn got to meet him and spent some time with him, um, before he passed away, but she's just, um, she, she just, it's like, she just knew when she was born and she was soaking the world in and, and making sure everybody in her family felt loved and, um, felt compassion and care. And, Mm -hmm. um, she was just this like bright eyed, amazing little baby. Um, she was born literally like holding her head up with her eyes open. Oh my (laughs) gosh. She was strong and independent and um just from the get-go and um relentless really and mm-hmm. so um we had our amazing evelyn and then a couple of years later um we got pregnant again um with <laughs> so um 
we are just like this painfully, ridiculously fertile couple. Um, <laughs> we actually had two miscarriages in between Evelyn and Harper, one on Morena yeah. and one on, I'm drawing a blank. Anyways, we, we had that. And then Harper, um, I was on NuvaRing. And oh when gosh. I got pregnant with Harper, Mike was like, my sperm literally jumps through hoops to impregnate you. No <laughs> so then we had Harper and um, Harper is just this like energetic, bouncy, goofy, full of personality um, kind of kid who we just adore. Mm-hmm. And um, she carries like great amounts of empathy and love for people. Um I actually feel like I was just so blessed because I gave birth to two children who just love people so much and, and love the hearts of people. And, um, it's been, it's been quite a journey to, to parent kids like that. Um, sometimes it's really challenging because there's lots of tears of compassion, but it's also really remarkable and really cool to watch the way in their own special ways, they they learned how to utilize that superpower and just make sure they always had community around them and that people around them always felt loved and supported and, and cared for. And it's been, it's, uh, it's quite, it's quite neat. Um, and my Aww. husband and I believe very strongly in community. Mm-hmm. And um, so to have kids who had that same kind of um, heart for it is, is been, quite an experience in our in our home so that's amazing yeah yeah and I'm both catered it in very unique and different ways um so that that's always an, a learning experience as a parent too to I, I always joke um you know same batter same oven two different cakes <laughs> absolutely <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah um and I I am 39 I am uh, I'm on top of being a wife and a mother I'm a student I love Jesus. I love people. Um, I am an ally for marginalized communities, or at least I hope marginalized communities believe I'm an ally for them. Um, And I am building a foundation. So we're just like doing all the things around here (laughs) that we can do. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Oh, wow. I think that's so special. And you seem to have kind of just based on your Instagram and the few people that I know that know you, your community seems huge. I mean, the amount of people that rally around your family have just been there for you guys seems amazing. Yeah, we are um, blessed with like an overwhelming amount of love and support Mm -hmm. in everything we take on. People are just like cheering us on from the sidelines and actively involved. And I swear every time I show up on Instagram and ask for support for another project, people just show up in droves and it's just, it's really remarkable. But I, I think when you love people, they, they want to love you too. Right. Absolutely. And, and so um, I think our requests are met over and over and over again, because the, the people that, that are in my community are people that also love people. Right. So, yes, yes. so you, you kind of attract what you, what you are. And, um, and I think so, so my Instagram, you know, is, is largely people who also love people. And so they just want to support and make sure they're cared for as best as they can. And I am really, you know, as much as our journey with pediatric cancer has been a challenge and, and hard and none of the things you ever want to experience. I mean, it, it literally is your worst nightmare. Um, we also have been just overwhelmed with 
support and love and, and people. And, and I'm grateful for kind of the, the opportunity to be the voice for a lot of those people and to be able to share and network and, and hopefully, I mean, we just really, really hope we're creating change and making Mm -hmm. things better. Um, Our goal is always um, that we just want at least one person's story to be different than ours. Yes. Um, and so that that's why we keep talking about what we're talking about and why we keep doing what we're doing and, and building the support networks that we're building in this kind of culture of community, because we just feel desperately that we need to change somebody's story. Yeah, I think that's incredible. Oh, that's what we're trying to do with this podcast. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which is so amazing, and, right? Yeah. It's, it's one, it's just amazing to hear so many people's stories and, and to kind of feel a connection to all of them. Cause I know I've been through terrible things and you just feel less alone when other yeah. people share their stories and kind of what they've been through and how they've been able to, you know, get through it and, and things like that. So, yeah. And I think that that's, what's so beautiful about people's stories, like that narrative of a lived experience, because mm what you do then is, is by sharing it publicly and opening and opening up and, and creating this sort of culture of community. My hope is always that if someone lands on my page one day, and I mean like not my Instagram page, but like the physical yeah. page of my journey yeah, and they're on the same page that I was in or am on now that at least by sharing my story, they know they're not alone. Absolutely. And, and so by knowing you're not alone, you feel like, okay, that person is surviving. That means I can survive this too. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and you, you build each other up and you care for each other and you love each other. And by sharing your story, you do that for people because if you don't share, then, then who knows where to go and what to do and where they're going to, where they're going to land. Right. And, and so the, these kind of sharing of our narratives is so important. And I think like culturally we've always been storytellers, but what's really remarkable to me about things like social media is it gives such an open and wide platform to share our stories and to, to openly place your narratives in a public space where maybe in the past a, a bereaved mother would have to seek out support through books and, and mm-hmm. maybe through support groups and stuff, which, I mean, those are certainly valuable, but you know, um, now you can put a hashtag into Instagram yes. and, and find people who are living your experience. Absolutely. And there's something so remarkable and so special about that and sharing that space with people. And I think, you know, we've seen a lot of transition in, in, in the recent years and things like talking about mental health and talking about things like miscarriages and the me too movement. And you're Mm -hmm. looking at things like, like BLM and BIPOC and, and these conversations are happening openly and publicly. And like, I think we're actually in a position now because there's so many open forums and public forums to share these narratives and share these stories. We actually have an opportunity to create real valuable lasting change, which Mm -hmm. I think without social media we maybe didn't. Yes, absolutely. And like you said, there's so many people out in the world that are experiencing what you're experiencing and things like TikTok and things like that. You can find your kind of community of people who are going through what you've been through, who you may have never 
been able to find before. Yeah. Right. And it just yeah. makes you feel so much less alone. Oh, exactly. And I mean, that's life-saving in and of itself yeah, for, it for me. So you have these two little girls mm-hmm. and you're, I don't know, that's, that's a crazy life to have two little, yeah. two little ones. <laughs> yeah. Um, Evelyn and Harper are three years apart in age. Okay. Um, have always been very close because I forced them to be, um, <laughs> they were, they both had, um, well, when Harper was born, they were both in their own room, but as soon as Harper was out of her crib, I put the girls in a shared room. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had a shared room at right up until about two months before Evelyn passed away. They, they had a wish come true and they both got this amazing makeover by a local Calgary designer who gifted it to them. Um, Stephanie Shrey interiors, who has become like one of my dearest friends through that process. Um, and so she, the girls really from ages like two for Harper two until, um, seven shared a bedroom. (laughs) So they, they had to learn to value and respect each other and share spaces. And I think it really helped them build this kind of special relationship. And it was funny because they were for the last, you know, year or so prior to getting their own rooms, they were perpetually asking for their own room, but they were also perpetually found before we went to bed at night or in the morning in the bed together in their, (laughs) you know, so they each have a twin bed but they're both sharing a twin bed on yeah. and, and stuff. So That's I was so like, cute. do you really want your own room? Cause I don't <laughs> believe you'll actually yeah. take advantage of it. <laughs> oh, that's too so, funny. Yeah. So kind of a, kind of a cute experience there for them. And I love looking back on those photos now and seeing them all um, curled up together and just taking care of each other and, and loving Absolutely. each other. And, and they, you know, they could drive each other crazy in one moment, um, but but uh, in the next, be the best of friends. You know, I every once in a while you have to put them in timeout or or whatever. And I uh-huh. put them. We have these two landings in our stairs, and I put one on one stair and one on the other. And within a few minutes, I could hear them giggling from the, <laughs> the stairwell together and, <laughs> and oh, stuff. Funny. So yeah, definitely like a special and and valuable relationship and friendship there for them. And at, at a certain point in September of 2018, we, we found out Evelyn had cancer. And I think Harper journeyed that just as heavily as, as Evelyn did alongside her caring for her and loving her and, and, and stuff. And I, I do really attribute that to their, their, they weren't just sisters. They were also friends. Oh, yeah. wow. And how old were the kids when Evelyn was diagnosed? Uh, Evelyn had just turned 10 and Harper was just about seven. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And can you tell us a little bit about what was that? How did you get that diagnosis? What was going on? In, uh, we had had like this really fun summer. My sister and her husband had come out to visit my, um, mom and dad had come to visit at one point and my brother had, and, you know, we spent the whole summer sort of hiking and biking and stampeding. And, oh my gosh, that year, I think we went to the stampede grounds like five times. Wow. Which wow. is insane for a local. Right? Yes. We, I'm like, we maybe do one day. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had done, cause my, we kind of were that whole summer because we had a company from out of town and stuff. We almost treated our city like we were tourists inside yeah. of the city that we lived forever. And it was really fun. And uh, 
you know, off and on throughout the summer, Evelyn would, uh, we, she was also training to run a 10 K in, in memory of her grandpa. Um, we, oh, we wow. run, uh, in memory of Mike's dad in the Edmonton marathon every year. Wow. And, uh, we, we all do the 10 K and Evelyn had run the 5 K in the fall with her in, for the Calgary marathon in the fall with her aunt and uncle and, um, had decided, you know, I really like this. And she was a beautiful runner. Like Aww. she just, she had a real talent for running and she found a lot of joy in it. And so we really just like nurtured and encouraged her along. And so we're training for this 10 K and, uh, it, she, you know, she was just so gung ho to do it all. And, um, it, we'd had this like glorious summer, but every once in a while, Ev would be like, my side hurts. And, and I would think like, you know, we had, it was a really hot summer. That mm-hmm. summer was like, like, like how it is actually right now, where it's like 30 plus degrees all mm-hmm. summer long. And, and so I just kept thinking like, oh, you know, she's, she's nine years old and she's just run seven kilometers. Well, yeah. of course she has a stitch in her side. Yeah. Right. Like these things. So we didn't really think a lot, a lot of it um, until the last week of August. And my mom and dad were here um, with my brother and kind of every day, the first night they were here, Evelyn kind of fussed and, and stuff at night. And she wasn't a complainer. Like she wasn't a fussy complaining sort of kid you know she could I swear she could have a broken leg and she'd keep walking (laughs) so so she really complained that first night and I was like oh you know typical mom just have a good night's rest you'll feel better in the morning we'd had a really busy day we'd done a lot of activity she'd gone on a training run that evening like you know so just thought you're just tired Mm mm-hmm and then, so that night, and I also thought, you know, grandparents are here looking for a little extra attention, <laughs> yeah. like that sort of thing. So we just kind of passed it off. And then the next day, the same thing, like fussing and complaining and my side hurts and, and stuff. And again, we were like, this is so weird. And then on the Wednesday, we went out to hike and bamf. And while we were hiking, um, again, kind of complaining about a pain in her side, but she also has like a camelback on and drank a liter of water in five minutes. I'm like, Oh, you have a stitch in your side. Don't gulp your water back so fast and and stuff. And then just, we finished that hike. Her friend Sophie had been with us and Harper and we went to the bagel shop in Canmore and like Sophie and Harper inhaled a bagel. Mm-hmm. Evelyn had like three bites. Oh wow! And I was like, "That's so weird." And then we got in the car, and Harper went to buckle her car seat and bumped Evelyn in her side, and Evelyn was like in a fit of tears. And I was like, oh. "Okay, this is silliness. She barely touched you. You're fine." Like this whole thing. And my mom looked at me, and she's like, "I wonder if she has like." a little bit of like a bladder infection or a UTI or something like this sore side and loss of appetite. And, you know, she's looking a little pale, like she's probably just got a little thing brewing in her. Right. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. on the way home, we picked up cranberry juice and the whole thing. And that night again, still really complaining about pain and pain and pain. The next day we went to heritage park and like my girlfriend, Lisa had joined us as well. And her daughter at that time was a baby and like Evelyn was carrying Brittany around, but put her on her right side and was like, Oh, I can't, it hurts. And so then she'd switch her to her left. And so we started noticing she's like really favoring her right side. Yeah. And so the next day, again, 
you know, my parents are, my parents left the Friday morning. I was starting a brand new job that day. So I, I'm going to work and I just had to work for the morning. So my girls went to Lisa's place to hang out and play. And I had these couple of parent meetings and stuff. And Lisa texted me and was like, you know, I think your instinct that something's going on is right because Allie just barely bumped Evelyn and she was crying and that's so out of character for her and, and stuff. And I was like, yeah, definitely something's going on. And I remember saying, cause I just, this is literally my first day at this new job. And I remember saying to my supervisor, oh my gosh, I think my daughter is sick. I'm probably gonna have to take her to the clinic after work uh, and yeah. kind of laughed and chuckled about it. And my supervisor was like, oh my gosh, do you need to go? I'm like, no, it's probably nothing. I'm just, you know, I'm being a paranoid mom. I don't like, I keep thinking, cause it's on her right side. Like maybe it's appendicitis. And he was like, are you sure you don't want to leave? No, I'm fine. Honestly, I'm probably just being a silly mom. I'm done at noon anyways. I'll just take her to the clinic after work. So after work comes and I go and I see her and I'm like, her eyes look kind of sunken and she's like really starting to favor this right side. And I looked at Lisa and I was like, Oh, what do I do? Do I go to urgent care or do I go to the children's? Like if I go to urgent care and it is appendicitis, they're just going to make us go to the children's. Yes. Yeah. And so I, I just had this like overwhelming feeling like I had to go, I had to go to the children's in that moment. And I looked on the app and the wait time at urgent care was almost three hours. And oh, the wait God. time at the children's was 47 minutes, which wow. when is the children's hospital ever? Yeah. Yeah. That short of a wait time. So I was like, okay, off to the children's we go. And I get there and I get Evelyn checked in. And then I walk Harper. I say to the nurse, I'm just going to take my daughter to Emily's backyard because Harper's not going to handle sitting in the waiting room. And I'm still convinced that it's like probably not a big deal. So I told, I texted my husband. I told him, oh, I'm at the children's. I'm just making sure Ev doesn't have appendicitis, LOL kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, so I take Harper to Emily's backyard and then I'm sitting in the waiting room with Ev and just about the time Evelyn's getting called back into the room, Harper's time at Emily's backyard is up. And for oh. people that are listening that don't know, Emily's backyard is this really fun playroom at our Alberta Children's Hospital mm -hmm. that um, parents can put their kids in. I think it's for, for an hour. They can be there for free um, when Emily's backyard is open. So this is like, a, like an invaluable resource for parents yes. when you have things like a specialist appointment, but you don't have childcare for one child or, wow. or you have a kid who's admitted and you have another child who just needs to like get out of the hospital room for a little yeah. bit. Like, yeah. So, so I put Harper in Emily's backyard and I go and I get her back. And about the time I get back to the room, the doctor is in there checking out Evelyn and he is kind of like pushing and prodding on her. And, and Ev is like, so, so sensitively in pain at this point oh, that wow. she's barely letting him touch it. Oh. And he looks at me and he's like, you know, I, I don't think this is appendicitis because the pain is quite a bit higher than where appendicitis normally sits, but I don't feel good about the amount of pain she's in. So I'm oh. going to send you down the hallway for an ultrasound. And then we'll just kind of see if it shows anything, play it by ear, go from there sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So I call my husband and I'm like, Oh, we're going to be here longer than I thought. Can you come get Harper? Like, this whole thing. So Mike leaves work and gets Harper and, and I go down the hallway with Ev to get her ultrasound. I'm telling the ultrasound tech, like, I feel kind of silly being here. It's probably nothing, you know, that kind of conversation. 
And as we're leaving the room, the ultrasound tech looks at me and she says, don't worry, mom, you made the right choice bringing her here. And I literally walked down the hallway back to Evelyn's room in, in the emergency feeling so vindicated. I was like, it is appendicitis. (laughs) (laughs) So we, we get down to the room and like within seconds, like I'm talking like, you know, you get a test done in the hospital and you're still waiting like another 20 or 30 minutes for the doctor to walk in the room. The doctor was in the room so fast and something in my brain was like, alert, alert. And I'm thinking like, it's the really like, rotten, squishy banana type of appendicitis. And they're going to like race her into the ER mm-hmm. or into the OR and take out her appendix. And, you know, it's a big, going to be a big drama. And the doctor then sits down and I, and again, I'm thinking, this is so weird. When do doctors sit? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and then he never puts, when it's good. Yeah. No. Yeah. And then he puts his hand on my knee and he says, are we able to call your husband back in? Oh, no. And I just like everything inside of me just dropped. Oh God! And I looked at him and and I was like, "We can, but you need to tell me why." Yeah. And he said, "Well," and he kind of positioned himself between me and Evelyn. Probably, I think now when I look back, so that Evelyn wouldn't see my face. Right. Yeah. And he said, "Um, we found a large mass." Oh. And oh, I just God. started crying, oh, like not like just tears, like my eyes just immediately started leaking. Yeah. And, and I said, what do you mean? And he goes, well, there's, there's quite a large mass in her abdomen. We don't know what it is, but we're going to do some further investigation right away. It doesn't look good. So it would be good if your husband could come back here. And I was just, those moments in time now for me are like, you know, when you watch war movies Yes. And everything is in those like snapshot memories. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That is how that time feels to me. Like it's very fragmented. So I remember like being in this total state of shock because this is, I mean, I literally went to the hospital thinking, oh, at worst appendicitis. Yeah. And now they're telling me there's a large mass in my daughter's abdomen. And your brain immediately goes to cancer when they say mass. Mm -hmm. And, and so he says to me, why don't you step out and, and make the calls you need to make. And I'll sit here and hang out with Evelyn for you. And again, when does an ER doctor ever sit and just hang out with the kid in the room? Right. Yeah. And so I remember leaving the room and going out in the hallway and like, it's a busy ER, there's people all over. And I'm thinking I have, I'm about to make life-changing phone calls. Uh I cannot do this in this public space. So I go into the washroom and I close and I lock the door and I dial Mike's number and he, he calls me Mrs. And he goes, hi, Mrs. What's going on? And no sounds left my mouth. And I just froze. And then he said, you need to speak. You're scaring me. And suddenly I just was like, they found a mess and you need to come back. And, and he okay, I'm on my way. And then I, I was like, wait, pause. You have Harper. Harper can't be here for this. Yeah. Let me call Holly. That's my best friend. I'm like, let mm-hmm. me call Holly and I'll have her get Harper. And then you come. And he's like, okay. And I'm like, and start packing bags because I've, I have a feeling we're going to be admitted. And he's like, oh, okay. And so, you know, you start, you're 
body kind of protects yourself or your brain protects mm-hmm. itself and you start leaping into like action mode. So I go through all of this and then I call my, I call my best friend and I had been texting and complaining with her. Oh, I'm in the ER. This sucks, <sighs> you know, first yeah. world problems and, and stuff. And, and so she had said like, Oh, if you need any help, just let me know. So when I called her and she answers the phone and, and she calls me cakes. <laughs> like, hey, cakes, how's it going? And again, the like frozen voice thing. And yeah. she, again, she said almost the same thing. Mike said, she's like, you need to speak to me. And I, I was like, they found a mass and she's like, I'm on the cloud trail. I'm turning around. I'm coming to the hospital. And I was like, no, I need Mike to be here. Um, I need you to get Harper. Uh-huh. And she was like, yes, Mike. Okay. And uh-huh. so she, she just went to my house and picked Harper up and helped Mike pack bags. And I was like texting them both a list. Cause like, you know, Mike is really good about things. Like I'm going to pack them four pairs of underwear and mm-hmm. a toothbrush and stuff, but he doesn't remember like the favorite stuffy. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, in this moment, the favorite stuffy is the essential item, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. So Holly kind of helped Mike get through the list and pack everything and sent him on his way and took Harper home. And so Mike came to the hospital and all of this took maybe an hour, Wow! but Mike might as well have been coming from Edmonton at that point. I mean, it was just, time was standing still. It felt like it was standing still and moving really fast all at the same time. And Mike wasn't arriving and it felt like hours and hours had passed and he still wasn't here. Mm -hmm. And like, there's an oncologist waiting around hovering in the hallways for Mike to arrive to talk to us and like you see oncologist on his badge so you know yeah why he's there and yeah. what he wants to talk to you about and there's this social worker who's following you around as a support person but you're like can you leave me alone because <laughs> if I talk to you then I have to admit that what's happening is happening and yeah he's like very lovely and popping around the corner and being like do you drink tea or coffee what can I get for you and oh. you're like go away lady leave me alone <laughs> and she keeps showing up you know and so finally Mike arrives and the oncologist um, pops in the room and pulls us out into the hallway and says, you know, we're, we're going to do um, a CT scan immediately um, just to see, uh, get better imaging, see what we're dealing with, what we're looking at. So he takes Evelyn into, uh, or they take Evelyn down the hallway to CT and Mike went in with her and I stood in the hallway because I had been like, calling my parents and texting my sister-in-law and sort of like checking in with people and being like, we need you to pray more than you've ever prayed in your life in this Mm -hmm. moment, because they think Evelyn might have cancer and we need them to be wrong sort of thing. And so now my phone is like pinging insanely. And so I took a minute just to kind of catch up on a few of the messages and sort of update the people we had shared with what was happening. We kind of go through that. And then again, you know, this, the CT scan is finished and the oncologist comes and takes us and he's like, come down the hallway. We're going to go sit in this room and talk. They take us into this like dark, quiet room where you know from movies and television that no good news ever comes from the dark, quiet room. And he sits us down and he says, we are almost positive. This is cancer. And then he takes us out into the hallway after some conversation and pulls up on a computer screen, the images from the CT scan. We see this, like he measures it out for us. It's 11 by 13 centimeters. So imagine like a grapefruit or a softball 
in the abdomen of this like 60 pound skinny little thing. And your first thought is like, how did I not see this giant thing? Like, how is it not bulging out of her body? How, like, how did we miss this? And he's like, well, what it's done is the way it's grown is it's moved her organs around. So that's why it's not protruding out. It's just shifting everything. So like almost all of her organs from the right side of her body have been shoved over to the left side. And then the tumor had grown so large that it was pushing on her kidney and on her liver. And that's what was causing the pain. So they admit us overnight. Mike goes home. And I always just feel heartsick thinking about uh, my poor husband that night mm-hmm. went home to an empty house. And I stayed at the hospital with Evelyn. And of course, you don't sleep even a minute. Yeah. You know, you're just tossing and turning and crying. And your kid's in pain and your kid's freaked out. And, you know, you're going through this whole thing and you're just totally, absolutely, and completely overwhelmed. The next morning, this doctor comes in the room and he he introduces himself and he says, you know, looking at this scan further, I'm actually not convinced it's cancer. I think it might be something called a hemangioma and this would be benign and, you know, we'd have to surgically remove it. And it's a little complicated because it's so vascular, but, you know, it's way better than cancer. And I look at him and I'm like, are, are you kidding me? Like you, you just had us here all night, worried, sick. I mean, we're just literally racked with fear and pain and worry. And, and you're like, it's probably not a big deal at all. Like, why wasn't this presented to us last night? Are you sure? And he goes, well, you know, we do need to do an MRI, but it's a long weekend because it's a long weekend of September. It's a long weekend and, you know, we're kind of at half staff and not full teams and getting an MRI would only happen in an emergent situation. And now that we're not sure this is cancer, it's not considered an emergency. And Mm -hmm. I looked at him and I said, well, at what point is mental health considered an emergency? Because now what, you're going to send me home to be worried sick for a week until you can do an MRI? And what if you're wrong? What if we're delaying the start of treatment for something that is far more serious? And Mm -hmm. he kind of said, well, you know, I can put in the request, but it's very unlikely that they would approve it. And I was like, well, put in the request and I guess we'll just see what happens. And We went back to the room and I literally sat down and just prayed. And I was like, Lord, my mental health cannot wait until Wednesday. Five minutes later, a nurse walked in the room and said, hey, mom, we've got your MRI booked for 830 tomorrow morning. And I almost fell off my chair. So we got a pass to go home that night. She was still technically admitted, but we were allowed to sleep at home. And so we went home. Mike's brother and his wife, who are just so wonderful always to us, showed up and they like brought food and coffee and wine and all the things you need in those moments and hugs and sat with us. And, you know, we just kind of did our thing. We tried to sleep that night. We went in in the morning for MRI. There's this on unit one, which is the oncology unit at the children's hospital. There's this lovely room called the sunshine room. Mm. And it's this bright, happy room that you can play games and stuff in. And so Mike and Evelyn and I were just sitting down to play a game of uh, Settlers of Catan. And the nurse walked in and said, hey, mom and dad, I'm going to play with Evelyn and the doctor's coming to talk to you. And at that moment, I had just snapped a selfie of Mike and Evan and I. And in the background, you can see this group of people meeting in the hallway. And I turn around and I can now see them meeting there. And you can tell by the way they're coming into the room that like, we are not about to get good news. 
times. So they take us down the hallway to this quiet room (laughs) and they tell us this is absolutely cancer. They are not sure if it is liver or kidney, but it's it's cancer and they'll be doing further tests to figure it out. The first day of school was on the Tuesday and they recognized that that was like a really big deal to Evelyn that she didn't want to miss the first day of school. So they would do a bone marrow aspiration on the Wednesday so she could be at the first day of school and then come to the hospital for this kind of day surgery type procedure on the Wednesday because the bone marrow aspiration will then tell them what type of cancer cells are in her body. And so we do this bone marrow aspiration and a couple of days later, the we get called into the hospital because the results are in. And so we go in the next day for this meeting. They tell us the type of cancer Evelyn has, it's called neuroblastoma, which is a solid mass tumor that grows out of immature nerve cells, usually starting in the adrenal gland. And that's where they believe Evelyn's cancer has started. They're going to do this kind of scan called an MIBG scan to see there's a radioactive dye that they use in that one that neuroblastoma cells attach to. And that will tell us where else neuroblastoma is in her body. And then we'll have a treatment plan from there. What is Evelyn's response to this? Like, what kind of information were you giving her? So Evelyn's only knowledge of cancer walking into this journey was her grandpa, who died from cancer, who she had just like run this 10K for. Yeah. And stuff. so we were extremely clear with the team that they would not use the word cancer in front of her until they were 1000% sure that this was cancer. So when they told the first time they told us that it was cancer, we still hadn't really told her like she knew something obviously was going on because there's no hiding that at her age. Like she was 10 at this point, but we also knew that we didn't want to unnecessarily create harm or stress because you don't know quite what you're dealing with yet. Right? Like there's different kinds of cancers and different kinds of treatments and, and different types of severities. And so we were pretty kind of calm in front of her and not fully transparent about what was happening. And then it was after that meeting where they said it was neuroblastoma and we were still apprehensive to tell her because we, we still didn't know what type of treatment plan we were going to have. It was going to be dependent on the MIBG scan because they, they had explained to us in the meeting, there's different stages of neuroblastoma and some are better than others. And the treatment protocol looks vastly different between them. And we were getting into the car. I, I'll, I'll never forget this moment in time. We were getting into the car and Evelyn paused getting into the, my my little red Jeep. And she said, so I have cancer, right? Mike and I just stopped and our hearts sank because what, how do you have that conversation? Yeah. I, I just looked at her and I said, sweetie, you do. I'm sorry, <sighs> but you do. And she kind of got like a little wash of sort of fear over her face and blinked a couple of times at us with these just wide green eyes and got teary. And I was like, you know, the thing is, is we're not going to be too worried about this yet because we don't know, you know, what type of cancer it is yet. We don't know what their plan for treatment is. And, you know, there's lots of cancers out there that are like nothing to resolve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're going to be, we're going to be okay. We know we're going to be okay. And Harper pipes up 
from her car seat and says, so the girls had been watching this. There's a show on the Disney channel that was about a girl who had cancer and they're like best friends. And she's gone back to school and they had spent the summer watching this show ironically. And Harper goes, don't worry, Evelyn. I think you'll look adorable with a bald head. (laughs) And you're just like, this is like your heart sinks, but also you're just like, so, so grateful for this little second of comedic relief from yeah. this tiny little voice from the back seat. And, yeah. and that was kind of the, we just postured ourselves into that attitude of like, you know what, we're going to be okay. We, we kind of then had this MIBG scan and they, the thing with the MIBG scan is they only do it on two, it's a two day scan. They do it one day and then the next day back to back. And they only do it on Tuesdays and Wednesdays because the radioactive dye isn't made locally in the city. So it's only, it has to be ordered by the Thursday. It gets made over the weekend. Then it gets direct shipped to the hospital on the Monday. And then they administer it on the Tuesday. Like it's this crazy thing. So this is like a Thursday. So they're able to put it in so we can do the scan on on the Tuesday. But we're kind of in this like waiting period for a few days and we get in and we go in the scan and and Evelyn lays on this bed and and you know this machine is runs so the first day the scan is really fast and then the second day it takes quite a bit longer you sit I can sit in the room with her because there's nothing that like I need to be protected from in that machine Mm -hmm. it's not like an MRI they run this machine and she like picks a movie and she's watching a movie I can see the screens um, of it scanning her body and they kind of warn you ahead of time. They're like, wherever there's neuroblastoma, it's going to light up on the screen. Like, don't get worried if you see it. Certain areas, for example, the kidneys um, and the like your salivary glands, mm. they'll uptake a lot of the dye. So it'll look like cancer's there, but there's no cancer there. Oh. So they kind of like prep you not to be too stressed and worried. And I watched this scan and I can literally see like her whole body is glowing. in this scan in particular along her right femur the area was totally lit up and I looked at the woman and I was like that's not one of the areas that really uptakes the dye is it and she just kind of dropped her head and shook her head and she said "I'm, I'm sorry it's not so I was fairly certain walking into a couple of days later, the meeting with the doctor where we were having the conversation about where we were at mm-hmm. and if this cancer was metastasized in her body, I was fairly certain that at minimum there was some metastasized disease. What we were not prepared for was when we sat down for that meeting And the doctor started talking as he was talking, he was writing and like drawing diagrams and stuff. And I think they do that like, cause it helps you process better what's happening. And he wrote stage four at the top of the page. Oh God. And my husband and I just looked at each other in, in shock and, and horror, I'm sure. And he said, do you understand what that means? And, and I was crying of course. And I I said, yes, I, I do. And then he proceeds to discuss what exactly stage four neuroblastoma means and what the treatment protocol is for it and outlines a bit of a rough timeline of what we're going to do when and how it's going to look and how it's going to work and then starts running into the statistics of survival rates and, and such. And like neuroblastoma is a beast. And he basically said to us in that meeting, this is one of the cancers he hates the most because the treatment protocol is so aggressive 
and they have to hit the kids over and over and over again with treatment. And we still are fighting against a low survival rate. We know that we're about to literally be just in this like heavy, in-depth, like scary time. How do you even process that? How do you even process that conversation? I mean, I think that our, our team at the Alberta Children's Hospital is so incredible and, and they really do help you process it. In, in this case, we were immediately given a social worker. We were immediately given a primary nurse. You know, you get all these people who kind of help lay it all out and describe it and, and kind of force you to talk about it so that you can process it. And then on top of that, um, the doctor, like I said, is you know, writing as he's talking and he's drawing diagrams as he's talking. And then you leave the meeting and he gives you that piece of paper. So you get to walk away with this piece of paper in hand so you can keep reading it and looking over it and, and beginning to understand it. And, you know, they always say, don't go on Google, but of course you go on Google. Yeah. And, and uh, like, we just knew we were fighting a beast. And did they give you any advice on how to talk to Evelyn and Harper about it? Yeah, thankfully, I mean, again, this is, I, I can't speak to every hospital, but the Alberta Children's Hospital is so incredible and, and they really do prepare you. And, you know, you have child life facilitators and you have, Evelyn had a psychologist and, you know, you have all these things in place that help to speak and manage. And and then again, you know, because of my background with kids and, and things, I, I felt like I was prepared to have some of those conversations. And I think every family handles it differently and every family probably has a different opinion and perspective on what you do. But our attitude was always just that we needed to be transparent and honest with our kids and tell them what we were dealing with. And of course you're doing it in age appropriate language. And I'm like not telling Evelyn the survival rates because she doesn't need to know that. And she doesn't need to understand that, but we did tell her, you know, you have a very serious kind of cancer and it's going to involve a lot of treatment we're going to be in treatment for about a year and a half and these are what everything's going to look like and you know we're going to have lots of admissions and lots of days in hospital and we're just very almost pragmatic about it with her but also i think you when you're a parent you know your child and you know how they are going to manage the information too and evelyn's personality was as such that pragmatism works well for her mm-hmm. so we honored that part of her personality too and and just we're always honest with her about what was happening and what was going on. And like I said, there's certain pieces of course that you leave out and you use kid appropriate language and age appropriate language, but um, between, you know, the social worker and child life and the psychologists and these amazing nurses in the unit, like they're just beyond, beyond incredible. You do figure it out and you just kind of go. And for us, I mean, the journey started immediately, like, the following. So we're now not even two weeks into this and we have all of the information and a full treatment plan laid out. And a couple of days later, she's in and they're doing surgery. And then two weeks after that, because she had to have some recovery time, they hit her with her first round of chemo. And so we had with Evelyn, um, six rounds of chemotherapy, um, what they call induction chemo. So it's kind of like the the starting phases and, and that takes a couple of months. And I mean, just because it's induction chemo, it's still not easy, but it was definitely easier than some of the treatment that was coming down the pipelines for her. And so we're, we're going through all of this and then we have scans after the six rounds of induction chemo and, and things are just not as good as they want them to be, but not bad enough to want to change the course of treatment. 
Um, so the next phase of treatment was back-to-back stem cell transplants. Basically, you your child is hit with chemo that is so heavy and so hard. Um, the paperwork we signed for the doctors to do it, there's a sentence in that paperwork that says not conducive to life. Oh, God. And as a parent, you have to decide, what do, what do I do? Well, I mean, if you don't do this treatment, you're basically guaranteed death. If you do this treatment, the treatment might kill them, but it also might make them better. Like you take the chance, right? And you hope for the best. And you know that the team knows what they're doing and you just let them do their jobs because they are the experts. Mm -hmm. And so you go into this journey of this. And so we had these back-to-back stem cell transplants, which put us in the hospital for just over two months. And then immediately following that, Evelyn had radiation. And post-radiation, she actually looked, so now we're into the summer. So we're almost a year into this journey now. For the first time ever, her scans showed um, no evidence of disease, which is like really what you just are waiting and praying for and hoping for the whole time. And we were just beyond, beyond thrilled. Uh, Unfortunately, it wasn't long after that, because Evelyn still wasn't done treatment. Just Mm because there's no evidence of disease doesn't mean treatment stops. And so she was still in treatment and getting regular scans. And unfortunately she relapsed and there's currently no cure for a stage four high-risk neuroblastoma relapse. So when she relapsed in the fall, we knew things were bad. Then you start looking at experimental options. And so we, we are going through all these experimental options and trying to figure out what do we do? Where do we go? And Toronto Sick Kids Hospital has this treatment called MIBG therapy, which is this like high, high, high dose radioactive through vein. Wow. And because radiation had worked so well for Evelyn, her team and us decided that that was probably our best option. So now we are applying to Sick Kids in Toronto, hoping they'll accept her. Mm-hmm. You're applying to the government to pay for treatment in another province mm-hmm. because. Just because we're in the same country doesn't mean provincially they'll pay for it. And we had already committed that regardless we were going. So she got accepted into the program in Toronto and and we went out to the Toronto. We we got there on Wednesday and she had a clinic appointment on the Thursday and the team was like, everything looks good. We're good to go. We had this like really wonderful, glorious, fun weekend. My my sister-in-law was there with my niece. We went to, and Harper, she brought Harper with her. We like went to Niagara Falls. We mm. went to the aquarium. My friend, Stephanie, who I mentioned earlier, she was, happened to be in Toronto and she took Evelyn to like an interior design stores. The Monday we had to go back to the hospital for just blood work and stuff for, for these, uh, appointment to get prepped for treatment to start on the Tuesday and Evelyn's hemoglobin was low and her oxygen was low. So they decided to admit her that night instead of the next day. And what causes that? The It was the cancer that caused that? Yeah. Well, and treatment can as well. So chemotherapy essentially like knocks out all your blood cells, right? Then your hemoglobin, your platelets, et cetera, are low. That's why blood donation is so important for cancer patients. So we kind of go through this whole process. And so we are admitted early. And the Tuesday morning, my sister-in-law pops by the hospital with Harper so she can say goodbye to us before she gets on the plane to leave and go back to the city. They were flying back to Calgary and kind of going through, you know, oh, I'm worried about my sister. I don't want to leave. And it's okay, Harps. We'll be home in a couple of weeks and this whole thing. And then Evelyn was just, nothing was working and nothing, like she just was declining and declining and we couldn't figure out why. And so 
the Tuesday they decide to do um, a CT scan to see what things look like and what's happening. And we get back up to the room and the whole team is waiting for us. And they grab me and take me into a dark, quiet room. Oh, Lord. They said um, Evelyn just is full of cancer <gasps> and there's a tumor in her heart that is shredding it open. They were not, they would not be able to do the treatment. They would stabilize her enough to get us home. But we were looking at, at best, you know, a week left with her. Oh and I God. just was like, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. The, you, you can't be right. This is no, you don't know her. We're fighting. We're continuing to do this. We're not quitting. You will give her this treatment, like the whole thing. And then I, I called Mike and I was like, I just need you here now. And so that was like later in the afternoon, uh, it was like four 30 in the afternoon. And he was on the six o'clock flight with Harper to Toronto. So poor little Harper had flown home that morning. And by that afternoon was getting on a plane back to Toronto And by the time Mike arrived in the kind of really late at night, um, Evelyn had progressed so far that the team had told us we would not be able to get back to Calgary. And we were looking at days at best, more like hours. Originally, when I'm receiving all this news, like I'm by myself and it's horrible, just horrible. My girlfriend, Carol, had flown in for a couple of days Mm -hmm. to be a part of the MIBG treatment. So she had arrived to the hospital thinking she was coming to like watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer with (sighs) Evelyn for a few days and finding out when she arrives that things are just way, way worse and, and everything was falling apart. I remember seeing Carol's posts about going to see her and then yeah. And then how everything just took a turn. How far away were aunts, uncles, grandparents? Well, every, everybody's in Calgary. Mm. I was totally alone in yeah. Toronto. The, when I talk about the wonderful staff and nurses and stuff at the hospital, I called our primary nurse and just sobbed on the phone to her. Like, what do I do? How do I do this? Like, why did you let us come? And like, nobody saw this happening. They wouldn't have let us go if there was any indication that that was about to happen, Mm -hmm. you know? And um, she stayed on the phone with me until Carol arrived so that I wasn't like alone, alone. And then Mike and Harper arrived in the middle of the night. and, And it was throughout the night that, you know, that we just watched things get worse and worse. And so we just were like curled up in bed with Evelyn and holding her. Mike was in the middle of a book with her. So he continued to read her book to her. And at a certain point in the night, Evelyn looked at us and said, am I dying? And we had to tell her yes. And so we, you know, kind of had to journey that with her. And then in the morning, Evelyn was getting less and less lucid. So we woke Harper up so she could say goodbye to Evelyn while they... Well, she was still awake. So we journeyed that with Harper and just a thing like an eight-year-old should never have to do. And so, and the hospital team is really good about helping us journey that with them and doing it in the best way possible. And then uh, we had throughout the night kind of called our family and like my best friend and her husband and stuff. And so everybody had caught like a red eye in the morning. 
to come to Toronto. My family was coming from the US. So unfortunately, my parents were coming from so far. So everybody was in Toronto with us. And most of them made it in time to say goodbye. She wasn't awake anymore when they had arrived, but they were all there to say goodbye. And then it just it was so fast. It, it was shockingly and startlingly fast. Evelyn passed away on February 26th. Um, almost exactly 18 months after we found out she had cancer. She passed away in Toronto at at four o'clock in the afternoon. So two o'clock in Calgary. Then we had to journey, like figuring out how we got her home and everything we needed to do back here. And, you know, just like Evelyn's funeral was March 14th and March 15th is when they shut everything down for COVID. So my family even all had to like race back home because they were closing borders <sighs> and like, it was just absolute insanity. And, and, you know, like the, the grief team and the trauma support team is coming in and they're telling us, you know, the, the best thing you can do for yourselves when you get home is plan a vacation and, oh, God. and, and spend time with friends and family and all this stuff. And then the whole world just shuts down and, mm-hmm. you know, we're so deep in grief because, this beautiful little girl that I like knit in my womb that I planned an entire life for. I had to say goodbye 11 and a half years in mm-hmm. and it's just not the way it's supposed to be. No. But we have, we do believe in like gratitude and joy. And I think like gratitude is the root of joy. And I just tell myself all the time, I got 11 and a half years of like wonder watching this like delightful little human who was curious and adventurous and smart wise well beyond her years Mm -hmm. um Evelyn was you know when she was five she was eight when she was 10 she was 15 you know just one of those kids and um and she changed the world and she changed it for the better and in 11 and a half years she lived more life and had more wisdom than some people get in 80. So, you know, and we miss her. We miss her more than I could ever properly express. But we are so grateful that we got the time we did with her and we learned the lessons that we did from her. And, you know, Evelyn has taught us more about community and love and taking care of people than I think anyone will ever be able to teach me in my life. And that's the basis of our whole foundation is just to bring families dealing with medical trauma joy Mm -hmm. and acknowledging that joy comes not just from having a a happy day, but from like having proper mental health support Mm -hmm. and having a toy at the hospital and having a gas card to pay for your gas or joy comes from counseling joy comes from a haircut or a tooth whitening (laughs) so we just are like working towards providing all of those kind of things for people and doing it with with gratitude that it, it, we're doing these things for people because of what Evelyn taught us about life and yeah. about people and about stepping out in joy always. I mean, that kid danced in the car on the way to every single doctor's appointment wow. and was silly. And I, I mean, I have countless videos of her acting out funny plays and bouncing around and goofy <laughs> voices and, you know, she just, she was a delight to everyone who 
knew her. You know, when you lose a child, you still have an energy to parent them. You know, Mm -hmm. just because she's gone doesn't mean I'm not her parent anymore. And so the foundation and building her legacy is really the way I parent her now. I think it's really important what you were talking about with when it comes to mental health or, you know, a gas card or things like that. I know that there's another local mom who lost her daughter uh, not that long ago, and she was quite present on Instagram. And if she posted about, you know, taking a break from the hospital or going to get a Starbucks or something, there was a lot of negativity and shame attached to that about like, how can you leave your daughter and and to not understand that those people are still human and they need to take breaks and they need to take care of themselves so they can be there for their their child and their family is just that breaks my heart and that needs to be talked about more yeah it's okay to find joy in some of those when everything is so dark you have to be able to find the bits of joy yeah. And I think a lot of people don't understand that. And, and one thing I think too, is people think joy and happiness are the same thing Yeah, and they're not right. Joy is like a thing. It is built up inside of you. It is a part of your spirit. Um, happiness is attached to experiences. I'm really happy. I went to Disney. I'm really happy. I got the best coffee I've had in a long time today. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's happiness. Joy is because it's knit into the fibers of who you are, it can journey alongside a multitude of other emotions and experiences. So like happiness and sadness don't go together, but joy and sadness can joy and grieving can joy and anger can you can be full of heartache, but you can still experience joy. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't believe you can do that alongside happiness. And I think as as we talk about these things, people begin to understand that like, I have a heart for joy. And yeah, some days I have a hard time finding happiness in my day. Oftentimes the heartache and the the grief and the, the sadness overtakes, but there's always a thread of joy alongside that. And I think the more people understand that and realize that, I think my hope is always by talking about these things and by sharing these things that it lets other people know. And so that there is less judgment towards grievers and there's less discomfort in the conversations of grief. You know, people are uncomfortable with death. So then that makes people uncomfortable with grief and people want you to move on. They want you to move forward. Um, And yeah, I am moving forward because I have to, but I'm never moving on from Evelyn because she is a part of who I am. And I don't think you ever get over that. And I don't think you should have to get over that. And I think people need to, to recognize that in grievers. And when they start doing that, maybe they will be more understanding and more compassion for things like walking out the hospital doors to go get a coffee. I think about our little Harper and she's, she's nine and, and she has been to more funerals than I had been to before I was in my Mm thirties. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and so I think because a lot of people, you know, wind up being like 40 years old and have only ever been to like a funeral for a grandparent, um, which is a very different experience. They just don't, they just don't understand. And they're also uncomfortable with it. And Mm -hmm. so when you're uncomfortable with it, you pass judgment. Yeah. Um, and I think like 
the other challenge too, is people want to like come into the depths of your grief with you. Yes. And, and they want to like pass off this insight or this wisdom as we, we live in this time and in this society where we want to wrap everything up in this pretty little bow by doing that. What you do is you are like negating a person's experience. And so you're better off just being like, I'm sorry, this sucks. Uh-huh. This is a super shitty experience you're going through. What can I do for you? You need coffee. Can I, can I deliver a meal? What's your favorite thing to eat? Yeah. You know, that's what we need to start doing for people. We need to stop trying to dig in the depths with them by relating our own personal experiences and just sit in their space with them how they are. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we, we've done a lot in Evelyn's memory, you know, we were raising awareness, which I'm hoping we can talk about before mm-hmm. this ends, Absolutely. but you know, we're, we're raising awareness and we're raising funds and we're, and we're, um, doing good things for families and, and people like to say, well, everything happens for a reason. And Evelyn's death happened because the cancer community needed somebody like you in it. Uh, well, no, 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 no. <laughs> That's not how it works. The other challenges people, especially with oncology, there's this real like fighting spirit attached to cancer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're battling cancer. We're fighting cancer. Your daughter lost her battle to cancer. When you say to me, your daughter lost her battle with cancer, what I hear is she didn't fight hard enough to survive. Her team didn't do enough right. to yeah. get her better. Yeah. And so we have to be really acutely aware of the language we use and the things we say and, and know that when we say things like they lost a battle to cancer, that we're creating harm for those yeah. people. We need to say, I'm so sorry your child died because cancer is not a battle to be won or lost. Right. Yeah. Evelyn was in treatment for a disease, we need to curate our language in a better way so that we're not harming people's experiences. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And what is some of the awareness work that you are doing? The biggest piece we talk about is, and, and people are largely unaware of both of these facts, is one, the government of their cancer or oncology research dollars, all they give to kids is 4%. 96 percent goes to adults and animals our children deserve more than four percent and we have just got to get more than four percent on board because our kids deserve more than that we need to create um, better treatments we need to have better protocols in place we need to have better accessibility to care and as long as the government continues to give our kids only 4%, there is a severe detriment to their ability to get better. A lot of people don't realize, like, it's, it's not even just about the 4%. Because only 4% is given to pediatric oncology, most of the chemotherapies children re- receive are created for adults. And then the doctors do their best to curate them for little bodies. But these are drugs that are very heavy and very hard and very toxic, and they are made for a developed body. So even when children survive cancer, they have lifelong side effects Mm -hmm. because these drugs are not made for developing bodies. So you have children with things like neuropathy. So they have like a limp or they have vision problems. They have heart problems. Infertility is one of the most Mm -hmm. common side effects of cancer treatment. Can you imagine your eight-year-old? And you have a dream of a life for them. 
And now you know they will not be able to physically reproduce a child because you had to save their life now yeah. with chemotherapy. Yeah. Wow. And you know, why um, is that? Like, why is there no chemo specifically created for small developing bodies? There is a few, but they are extremely limited. And again, that is because there is so little research dollars put into mm-hmm. pediatric oncology. And so we, like, we really need to be, like, fighting our government for this yeah I'm like real fired up about mm -hmm. this like that is really awful yeah Yeah, exactly and so these kids are not getting the best like honestly and truly I know this might sound cheesy to say but children are our future I just literally thought that in my head I was saying (laughs) why are we giving them only four percent there has been six times as many chemotherapies developed for dogs as there has been for children. Oh Again, gosh. I'm a dog mom. I have Dolce. I love that. Yeah. Thing yeah. yeah. It's ridiculous how spoiled my dog is. He has his own camping chair. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but, but my child deserves more. Right. And so we have to change this. How do we change it? What do we, we have to keep talking about it. You Heather, have to who talk do I call. It. I will phone them right now. I mean, Get one, day, the line. <laughs> one day, man, I'm going to stand up in front of parliament and I'm going to, tell them our story and I'm going to beg and plead and implore them to make a change, but we got to get there. And unless we keep talking about it, we're not going to get there. Right. So we've just got to keep pushing and pushing and pushing till we're in that place. This is something that the, the average person has no idea about. This is something that only someone who's lived through this system understands. So to, I I mean, my mind is blown that, 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 that is the truth. I mean, obviously it's the truth, but. Well, and that really goes back to our earlier conversation too, of why it's so important to share our stories. Absolutely. Yeah. Because we didn't know this either. We only know this Mm -hmm. because we have a lived experience of Mm -hmm. journeying oncology with a child had I not journeyed oncology with a child, I would have had no idea. Yeah. Right. Wow. And the other thing that people are vastly unaware of is that when children are in treatment, and this is not true just to Calgary, this is true to almost every children's hospital, they don't have radiation. So when children have to have radiation treatment, they're almost always going to the adult center to get it done. And the reason for that is because radiation takes up a lot of room. It has to be in a basement, like built into a hill because it's radiation to staff it, et cetera. And not enough kids need radiation on a daily basis for a hospital to justify the space, the time, the money, et cetera. So they send them to the adult centers to get treatment and care. Well, the problem with that is then you send these kids from these bright, cheerful, happy children's hospitals to these like dark heavy basements with a bunch of adults. And because people don't know that kids are going to places in Calgary, you know, it's the Tom Baker center. They, they donate toys, gift cards, et cetera, to the children's hospital. Nobody's donating anything for the kids at Tom Baker. Mm -hmm. So these kids go down there for treatment and you have these staff that are beautiful and lovely and have this huge heart for helping these kids and creating these like experiences for them inside of this misery. Mm -hmm. Um, They're just doing the best they can to, to make it a happy space for them, but they're spending their own money to give kids like end of treatment gifts and stuff like that. So one thing we're really working on in our home is towards ensuring that um, people are donating to spaces like the Tom Baker as well um, so that they do have the tools they need 
to give the kids the experience that their hearts are giving them. Mm -hmm. So can you recommend, like if anybody's listening to this, I guess anywhere in the world, can they call and specifically ask for donations to be directed specifically to children's oncology or yeah like so when you donate to a place like the children's hospital you can do general donations you can also do directed donations now the the thing is is that it has to stay inside those hospital walls though Right. right so if you're donating to the alberta children's hospital the donations are used inside the alberta children's hospital so if you are wanting to support say kids receiving radiation treatments you have to donate to the Tom Baker. One of the best ways to do that right now, because we don't currently have a system in place, we are working on it, but it's just not quite there. Donate through our foundation because we will then turn around and bring it to Tom Baker for you. So say you like your work wants to do something in September because it's childhood cancer awareness and you're going to do a toy drive and you want that to go to kids receiving radiation get in touch with me either through Happily Heath or the Team Evelyn Foundation on Instagram. That's a great way to reach me. And I can take those donations and bring them in and donate them. And of course, we always tell them where they're coming from. They know, you know, when it's businesses and stuff involved, but we currently are like the only pediatric donor to Tom Baker. Um, We're working on changing that with the new Calgary Cancer Center being built and being opened up. Um, I'm one of the pediatric radiation oncology advisors for that. Mm. So I am working to have better systems in place so that donations are easier to receive. But for the time being, um, putting it through me is probably the easiest way to do it. Yeah, yeah. Well, that we'll post all of that stuff on our on on the show notes and on our Instagram and everything and share some of the other charities that we heavily support are are through um, the uh, Helping Families Handle Cancer. Um, We did a campaign this year and we'll do it again um, this next year in February where we purchase, uh, we asked people to donate uh, over the anniversary of Evelyn's passing and we purchased 448 monthly parking passes for families in oncology at the Alberta Children's Hospital, which just removes like so much burden for Mm -hmm. people. How much is a parking pass? for a month is $75. Wow. Yeah, that goes a long so, way. So yeah. so to be able to support a family like $75 if you think over the 18 months we were in treatment, that's a lot of money. That yeah. adds up really fast. And because, just to, just to park your car to be at the hospital with your child. I mean, that's Yeah, and that's and not only that, but sometimes you got two cars going back and forth. Yeah, one thing we didn't touch on was that you did have to leave your job, right? Like Mike had to keep working because there are bills to pay, yeah. but somebody had yeah. to be with Evelyn. And mm-hmm. so you guys went from a two income family down to a one income family. On and... like a minute's notice, yeah. really, because we took her to the hospital, not knowing what was about to happen, you know, and we, yeah. So we went from a two income family to a one income family on like a minute's notice. And then on top of that, we also added on, on average about $1,500 worth of medical expenses a month. So between medication, like prescriptions and dressing supply changes and parking passes, um, which, you know, granted some of those things we did have support for, but, but not all. And then you add in like the additional gas costs, you add in things like having to buy food from the cafeteria, like, Mm -hmm. um, bribery. Oh my gosh. When you have a sick child, you are not above bribery. Evelyn, you've got to get a poke. The only way we're getting that poke done is an $80 Lego set. Okay, I'm going to go pick up the Lego set, right? Like just do whatever you can. And I will tell you with two children at home and one being sick and one being not sick, Mm -hmm. people 
are really good at remembering the sick kid and not yeah, so much the not absolutely. sick kids. So you're creating experiences for the other child so that they're not feeling like abandoned and left out. And, you know, when you have one kid that feels left out, it, it is not an easy experience. You know, when you're, when your seven-year-old looks at you a six weeks into this journey and says, well, I wish I had cancer too. Oh, well, oh no. what do you do? Yeah. You, you pack her up, you take her to a movie, you go on a play date, you, you go for bike rides in the park, like everything yeah. you can do to make sure she still feels seen and loved. Mm-hmm. And, and um, like, we're so grateful. Our little school community did things like paid for Harper to have dance lessons that whole year of oh, in wow. treatment because you know what Harper still needed an extracurricular but yeah, we course. didn't have the bare $70 a month to take care of the extracurricular so people stepping up and doing things like that was just so critically important for our home and Absolutely. and that's another reason why we are building our foundation because we want people to be able to come to us and say hey you know, I'm, I'm, we're having a really hard time and we're going to have to take our one kid out of hockey. No, you don't. We're going to pay for it for you. Right. Yeah, like yeah. just acknowledging that the siblings need care and attention and time and love too. And, and so do the moms and dads mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and, and just remembering that there's more than just a sick child in the home. There's a whole family that, that has to still work and function and, and be a part of life and society. And it's so hard to just take it all away and, you know, that's another reason why um, one of the other charities we love so much in our city is um, Kids Cancer Care, because they have things like the peer program, which yeah. is a safe um, extracurricular, like sport-based program that patients and their siblings can attend. Same with their camp program, patients and their siblings can attend. And Kids Cancer Care is so amazing at recognizing and acknowledging that they that the siblings also need all of those things. And, and so we love the work they do and and we work at supporting them as well through a variety of events throughout the year. My gosh, Heather, we could talk to you for hours about this. (laughs) Like this is just so the work you're doing is so special and so important. And yet I'm so sorry that you're in a position where you're doing this work because, Mm -hmm. you know, because you lost such a special piece of you. Yeah. And, you know, we always say it, like, especially about the families we've met in oncology, you're like the best person that I wish I never knew. Yeah. And I feel like in my life right now, you know, I've gone back to school, I'm about to graduate with a psychology degree, and I'm hoping to do my master's in social work. And we're like building this amazing foundation that is doing so much good work to help and love and support people and kind of continue building this culture of community that's so important to us and to others and like I feel like you know I'm 39 and I'm doing the best work of my life that I've ever done mm-hmm. but I'm doing it for the worst possible reason oh man well thank yeah. you so much for sharing I mean it's it's incredible like Carling said what you're doing and and I I know that experience of kind of being in a club that you never wanted to be in yeah um, but yeah. the support that is in that club is incredible and yeah yeah and I and I know that the work that you've done has helped so many other people go through their grief with them and walk alongside them is is so special yeah and I think you know and again this comes back to that like it's so important to just share your story Mm -hmm. share your story put your put your life out there um because somebody needs to see your page in the book yeah right because because they're going to land there one day and just be so thankful that you were brave enough and bold enough to 
to share. And everybody's going to have a different experience and everyone's going to have a different thing that helps them heal. I don't want a grieving person to listen to them, to, to this and think, oh my gosh, I'm not doing enough for my child because, you know, Heather's done A, B, and C. Yeah. No, no. My lived experience is my lived experience and yours is yours. And if just softly doing something in memory in your child is what enables you to heal and what you believe is honoring your child's memory, then you are doing exactly the right thing you should be doing. That's so important. Well, thank you so much for talking to us. And like Carling said, we could talk forever. We need to meet up in yeah. person next time for sure. I yes. Know. Oh my gosh. The world is opening story. up. We can have wine. We can have coffee. I know. Yeah. Oh my God. We have a dog play date. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, Can you imagine how long this went on if we also had wine? My goodness. Oh my God, I would love it. <laughs> Welcome to our five-hour podcast. Yeah. We'll just do a live stream. Yeah. Drink wine yeah. with us. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm into it. Thank you so much for having me oh, on, ladies. I am just so thankful. Oh, no. We we're you. thankful. We're best friends. Oh, <laughs> There'll be um, wine in our near future. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes, please. Yeah. I will love that so much. We'll invite Christy. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Okay. Bye. Bye. Hey, Carly. Hey, Michelle. <laughs> uh, that was such a good episode. Heather. Heather's amazing. My God. Thank you so much that we could talk to you for hours. We need to go and have coffee or wine with her. Like immediately. Yeah. Like, like we right have now. so many... Okay, we got to go. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs> Heather, we're on our way. Yeah, that was such a great episode. Yes. And what a change maker. I don't know if that's like a cliche word to say, but like. I just, I love her perspective. I love learning about all of this stuff about what families are really going through mm-hmm. when it comes to just the little things that you don't even think about. Yeah. Like the support that people need when their child is sick. Sharing your story when you've been through it and you've experienced it helps so many people. Yeah. And we're just honored that we got to share that. Yeah. So thank you so much. Uh, we're going to post on Instagram a link. Well, there's already a link on our Instagram where you can go to our Etsy shop to get our Evelyn Foundation notebook. Yes. So a portion of every notebook purchased will go right into the hands of people who need help. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And next week we're going to talk to Carrie, who is a childhood cancer survivor yes, and has done some really incredible work with her experience going yeah, through it. And so helping families who are, who, you know, like Heather and yeah. they have been able to help yeah. the team Evelyn foundation as well. Yeah. So um, cool. Yeah. It was amazing talking to her as well. Yeah. So thanks everybody for listening. We truly appreciate your, your support so much. Absolutely. All right. Have Have a great great day. day. Okay. Bye. Bye.